Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, everyone, how you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Fernando. Hi, Ben. And hanging out with Travis Irvine. Hola, Ben. How you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. Awesome. I'm so excited for this week's episode. A little bit later on, we're going to have an interview with a superstar behind The Last Prisoner Project. His name is Dante West. So we're going to talk all about criminal justice reform. We're going to talk about uh, the 40,000 people who are currently incarcerated because of marijuana in this country. And then also the hundreds of thousands of people who have marijuana charges on their records. That haunts you for life. We were talking about this on last week's episode, and I was thinking about it further when it comes to the social credit system. We were talking about in China, facial recognition. They break it all down right there for you. The U.S. social credit system is tied to how many times have you been to jail and for what? It's a whole nother process of saying some people are better than other people. And because you are incarcerated for marijuana, you're only eligible to get this type of job, perhaps a low paying job. And it really comes back to haunt these people even more so than the folks from The Conjuring 3. So we can't wait to speak with Dante. But before we get to that matter, which is important, let's talk about the fact that Donald Trump maybe wore his pants backwards. (laughs) What is happening? Donald Trump and Bill O'Reilly, they're launching. It's I believe it's called the History Tour. I thought it was called the Backwards Pants Tour. Backwards Pants Tour. I think it's the History Tour, very similar to Michael and Janet when they had the History Tour. Remember that? Oh, they had history. So Donald Trump, he gave some press conference. He looked like such a freaking dope. Again, Donald Trump is just a Trump person. Impersonator at this point, but dare I say he's the best he's Trump the best impersonator. One. He's got it down. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Anthony Atamanek, you nailed it, but you can't compete with, with Donald Trump. Trump. <laughs> anyway, memes flooded the internet because it did appear as if Donald Trump was wearing his pants backwards. Now, uh, Snopes actually covered this. <laughs> Snopes is so funny. Like it's uh, Snopes for the most part, I find their research right. to be to be accurate. But they, Snopes said they found a zipper. They found the zipper. They found a zipper oh, in another folks. photo. So they don't believe Trump's pants were backwards. But there's something going on there. And there is some speculation a diaper might be involved. It looks like he's got diaper pants. Uh, you know, I, that's what I, that's what I was saying before the show. I was like, uh, it's not it's not that he's that big because you know 
I've seen. He's I've, getting Florida chill. He's getting Florida relaxed. Well, yeah, he's but, definitely getting. But that's Florida not relaxed. that's not fupa. That's not like fupa. Is that bio, another fupa? That's not fupa. I thought it's just where you gotta just well, like just gotta let the belly under the belt now, and that's how I'm gonna roll. You put the belly under the belt. It looks like you've lost 25 pounds. Go to the wedding, <laughs> the have stomach, fun from then, the stomach. Then you've gained it in your pelvis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you were wearing like a trainer, that's not what it looks like. I don't, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, he's pinched, butched up like he's either wearing a diaper or, you know, like he's wearing them backwards. That I would understand. be crazy. What would it take for President Trump to wear a diaper? Maybe he has a zipper in the back. Maybe his pants are made like that. And oh my God, <laughs> Trump's pants. He's not doing zipper in the back. He's not Roy Cohn. There's no <laughs> way that he needs a backward zipper. I mean, Stephen Miller, you know for a fact Trump sucks his dick. He doesn't get it railed in the back by the guy. No, do not even think about making that excuse. If anything, it's a tiny zipper concealing a fat belly yeah. or... He just put his pants on backwards. Uh, you know, I I don't think he dresses himself. I think he might not. I don't. I, there's a, definitely an assistant in there. I could and, see it, like you, you know, know, in the Disney movies, Cinderella. She's getting dressed by like the beautiful hummingbirds. Right, they spray them down. They first. spray them <laughs> down. down. Trump. Oil yeah, them up. but I feel like Oil it would just be like a series of like crows, <laughs> just like sad. Maybe just a weird like pelican that dresses <laughs> him with one tear. Maybe a couple of raccoons, just like the animals that are just like we we have to be here because we. Broke animal law, no, and vultures. this is some sort of just maybe some vultures, yeah, exactly. vultures. 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 <laughs> oh, anyway, Mark Hamill even tweeted from Star Wars. Oh, boy. Uh, he he said clearly, uh, Donald Trump is on the no fly list. Whoa. So thank you, Mark Hamill. Thank you so much, Luke Skywalker. Comedy 2021. <laughs> Donald Trump looks like he's on the no fly list. Wow, Mark Hamill. <laughs> just when you thought it couldn't get any better for you. You come out with a tweet like that, hashtag diaper Don. You know, mm. there's a lot of diapy talk. I love that nothing he said mattered at all. I mean, no, he, it doesn't true. matter. What it did he no, talk it about? Never, no, it used to, you know, when he was when he was a little bit more in charge. Of course. Like he used to, uh, you know, a lot, everything, everyone hung on to his every word. Now, sure. they don't give a crap. They're just laughing at his pants. What? I yeah. love it. I love it, but what, what did he talk about? What did he try to talk about? What was this big old speech about? He was at the North Carolina Republican Party, so we can assume this is Laura Trump. This is, yes. you know, setting up for 2022. Obviously, his endorsement does matter because of all the people that endorse him. So there are states where his political power is still there. Now, as I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, his power is it is naturally waning in front of our eyes. Mm -hmm. I know it took a little bit longer. It's taking a little bit longer than perhaps some people uh, would like because he does still have power until it's proven that his efforts don't get out the vote. He will have political power. We'll see what right. happens in 2022. If the people that Trump supports do great and they end up filling the house and maybe getting mm. a senate seat here or there then his, then his power uh, you know maintains but again i don't think it's going to happen the further removed we get the more comical his past four years become and the more again entertaining and just foolish he looks sure and and how comical all the theories that keep coming out that he's going to be reinstated in August somehow. Well, that has never happened ever in American history. <laughs> um, someone else has thrown out something that uh, Trump might run for Congress so he can then become Speaker of the House so then he can impeach Biden. 
I don't, it's a long that's, process. That's a, yeah, so far off for Trump. He clearly has no interest in it because he just wants to speak with backwards pants on. Oh, my God. And then, of course, on the other side of that, Trump mania continues when it comes to what's happening in New York State. News media is ad nauseum being like, I think this is going to get him. The walls are closing the walls in. Are, the walls have been closing in for a long time. Uh, and yet, uh, he still seems to have a huge house yes. in Mar-a-Lago. And a huge closet so, of backwards pants. I will believe it when I see it. That whole process is a long ways away anyway. Even the um, grand jury that they've convened in New York, they say it could be a six-month process. Mm-hmm. And by that point, uh, Donald Trump may have fixed his pants problem and actually died. So never know what happens uh, within six months from now. And, uh, of course, if Donald Trump is ever in cuffs, uh, that'll be an interesting day for this country. Many people extremely happy and others extremely upset to see their former king uh, tarred and feathered, proverbially tarred and feathered through the town square. Mm. What's up, Fernando? I, I, can he be? You know, I mean, will he ever be tarted? Yeah, will he? Because his money's still there. The, you know, that we talk about. Well, they're going to freeze all the cash. But, you know, the donor list, you know, we'll those see. things. We'll see. Yeah. That's why I don't even go into too much detail with all of that, because it's a lot of minutia. A lot of minutia. And it's a lot of New York State politics at play. And it's tough to put your finger on what the hell is going to happen. So, again, we will keep you up to date as the grand jury uh, hears evidence of Donald Trump and tax evasion and things like that. The one thing we do know about the U.S. government, you can, like, kill a whole bunch of people and they'll be like, Mm. Did he make but then money, as soon though? as as soon as you don't pay taxes, they're like, we're gonna have to talk. Yeah, we needed that money to kill people. Yeah, so actually, we're gonna need that money. So that's not, that's not, I mean, that's how they got freaking. Um, that's how they got Al Capone. They're like sure. Al on tax evasion. Yeah, you're doing some stuff here. We're noticing you're doing some a lot of nefarious stuff. You're making the people smile with the knife. You're making people all like weird, and they're losing ears. We don't like that. And the bathtub gin is not good. But uh, you better pay us our fucking taxes <laughs> you or know, you're going to Pelican Bay, ooh. Alcatraz. I would also think that Mr. Trump would be a double pants guy. Like, for example, I always have an extra pair of pants in my car. You never know what could happen. What I are you talking about? Like, you know, are you bear grills. Look, what do you mean? You never know what could happen. You're driving to a studio no, to right. sit on your ass and you relax. You never know what could happen. Maybe Trump was wearing two Where pairs of pants. Would you lose a pair of pants? No, well, what if Puffin gets me and I need a new pair of pants? How am I supposed what to What would go? Puffin do? I don't know. What? Puffin doesn't pee on people. I got to say, I've been on vacation with one pair of pants before. That's and a nightmare. You get food on it. The you, first night, you look like a fool the rest of your trip tomorrow. Oh, I my go. God. Well, speaking of looking like a fool, uh, Bill O'Reilly and Donald Trump, they have announced the history uh. tour. And this is what they say. They say the tour will, quote, will discuss exactly how things were accomplished, as well as challenges, both good and bad. They go on to say it's going to be wonderful, but hard hitting. Uh, so they're going to hit each other they're gonna, very gonna hard. A, it's going to be Mayweather and, and Logan, Logan Paul, Paul round two. Oh, my God. And much like Mayweather and Logan Paul, this is all a work. It's all a farce. And it's just a bunch of lies to sell a pay-per-view and to make money. Trump says, uh, quote here, you can read it like Donald Trump because you're you're as close to a Trump impersonator as we have on the show. It's this large one right there. It's a large quote because it's Trump, so it just never ends. All right. Until he gets uh, mildly winded or reminds himself that his pants are backwards and he has to go put them on forward. Trump in a statement said the conversations will be wonderful but hard-hitting sessions <laughs> that will discuss the real problems occurring in the U.S. And here's the, oh my God. All right. 
Oh, God. All right. Okay, here I go. Wish me luck. <laughs> I will be focusing on greatness for our country, something seldom discussed in political dialogue. That's good. If we don't make our country great again, we will soon no longer have a country. Oh, my. I look forward to working with Bill, who right now is the number one best-selling book to openly discuss the real problems of our country and how to solve them. <laughs> Additionally, it'll be fun, fun, fun for everyone who attends. <laughs> That's an actual Ooh. quote. From a man wearing backwards pants who used to be president. Additionally, it will be fun, fun, fun. Three funs. For everyone who attends. Now, as I make fun of this, and we all make fun of this, I would love to go. No, I would I watch this in go. a freaking heartbeat. Let's go. So if anyone can get his tickets to go watch O'Reilly and Trump, <laughs> just when you thought the Germans and the Irish weren't still in control, <laughs> we would love to go watch these two bloviating bastards scream at each other uh, about how no one understands the plight of the old rich white man. My, my favorite part of this is the promotion and a lot of the reports on this is that this will not be boring it will not no they yeah, are stressing that again boring. this is mayweather logan paul we all knew it was going to be a With work it's an exhibition yeah <laughs> they are pulling but but they aren't going to be pulling punches bill and donald no sir i mean this is almost oh. like trump was was talking to bill like how do i get back out there everyone's forgetting about me and then bill does his classic fuck it we'll do it live fuck it, we'll do We're it live. bringing it back <laughs> taking on the road you know uh, you mentioned how no one is paying attention to him Trump also had to recently stop doing his presidential his newsletters, blog. his blog. His blog <laughs> he's going through, so he low. is going through like Carrie from, um, oh, from, from the Stephen King novel. No, not from the Stephen King novel from that fantastic series. It's involving four women. Sex in the city. Yeah, I was gonna say he's like Carrie from Sex in the City, worrying about his blog now. Oh. That's where he's at. She's like, "How do I get readers? I'm talking about readers? oral sex. I'm talking about rim jobs in this recent article. Uh. Why is no one clicking on my on my date bit?" Is Bill O'Reilly Samantha? In, uh, he might be Samantha. This, I think they're all Samantha. They're all Samantha. No, wait, no, so, he's he's the old lady who fucks everybody. That's, that's Samantha. Bill Is that Samantha? That's Samantha? Kim Cattrall. Oh, yeah. She's, oh, she's my. Hot. Oh, indeed she is. <laughs> so Donald Trump in the uh, stage 2.1 of his ex-presidency. Yep. Uh, stage 1.1 was the denial, and then it had... Uh, the insurrection. And then the insurrection. And yep. then uh, now and then we're the in leaving without attending the inauguration. The Twitters, the Facebook bans, and now 2.1 is he can't get anyone to read his blog. <laughs> and now he has to do it live with Bill O'Reilly. The tour will begin December 11th in Sunrise, Florida. I realize I'm just plugging the hell out of it now. <laughs> I'm probably doing exactly what they want. But if only our fans show up, it'd be the single greatest thing of oh, all time. Fun. Treat it like it is which is a, a shit show a hog wrestling match between two fat beasts that means nothing these guys are just so out of touch they're so lonely they're so isolated they have nothing they can't even get someone to read either of their blogs because do you remember when bill o got kicked off of fox and he's like uh, i'm gonna have my own show i'm gonna right. do my own channel <laughs> no one cares that's no a, one cares about you. That's a very good point. Bill O'Reilly, I haven't even heard that name uh, since 2016, since the big shakeups over at Fox News. I thought he was dead, honestly. I'm well, gonna, he's gonna, got the number one book in America. Well, it's Rush Limbaugh. I mean, I, I, don't I, even know I can't even tell about. him apart with him and Rush Limbaugh. And I was like, wait, didn't he die? And I was like, no, it was Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> it was the other guy yeah, who died. The yes, other crazy dude on TV and radio <laughs> saying crazy things. Oh, my gosh. 
So we'll see. You know, it will be interesting, though, talking about power and talking about how we gauge political power. There, it's, it's hard to do. You do need to see. You need to see data. You need to see analytics. So I guess from that perspective, this little tour that he and Bill are doing, Trump and Bill, it will be interesting to see. Are the crowds going to show up? Is it going to be as crazy as it was? Is it going to be the... Um, the early bird special of what his rallies used to be with just the old hanger-ons who were just like, nice to believe in you, Mr. Trump. <laughs> and Bill, oh, I miss you from Fox. Henry's well, yeah, to a libbard. Henry's a liberaler. That Tucker fella's a libtard. He's a liberaler. He ain't like you, Bill. So it will be funny to see the eclectic damn near you think about life as a conveyor belt you know these are the pieces of candy that are about to be flown into the trash <laughs> um, because they're about to freaking die. So it'll be fascinating to see the demographics of the people that show up, uh, why they're there, what's their motivation. Is it just going to be three assholes like us in the back being like, get them, Bill? Oh, that's a good one, Donnie. <laughs> Woo! Hey, Donnie, your pants are on backwards, Don. <laughs> we'll do it live. Or is it going to be straight up patriot, air quotes, patriots out there, you know, defending Trump at, at, uh, at all of his... Uh, despite all of his in, insane ramblings. So that will be interesting from that perspective, just to see what's what's some of the data that we can collect from the crowds that'll go to the O'Reilly Trump history tour, just which is so ironic it's called history, being that neither of them, <laughs> I don't think I've ever read a history book, other than ones that Bill O'Reilly's- He's written. Uh, his ghostwriter writes. Right, yes, yes thank Bill you. Bill O'Reilly's never written a word in his life. He didn't write Killing Lincoln? I don't think so. What about killing Kennedy? I don't think so. What about so. killing Jesus? I don't think so. <laughs> That's all the ones I know. It was the killing series. <laughs> it was the killing series. And then it was Bill O'Reilly for kids. I'm like, well, what's happening? <laughs> right. It was it, right when he got caught with his disgusting sexual harassment. I want to use you like a... No, he I want to sponge bath you. He said, I want to use you like a euro, uh, I believe. But he meant loofah? Yeah, I'm pretty did. sure it was that. But I'm like, ooh, I'll be rubbed down with a euro. And I was like, Bill, and now you're finally talking my like, sex language. Rub me down with some, ooh, give me that euro meat. Like lamb and beef? Yeah. yeah. I remember Al Franken's line about it on Letterman because Bill O'Reilly had just rolled out the uh, yeah, the O'Reilly factor for kids. And Al Franken <laughs> yeah. was like, I didn't know uh, phone sex was for cats. Oh, oh classic. You classic. Know, I'm trying to understand what stage of grief Trump is in. Uh, you know, getting some perspective of Ooh, this. I, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna take a guess, and, okay. then, and then you let me know. Well, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking, well, denial is the first one. I feel he's just kind of stuck in denial. Really? I was wondering if we're already past that, and we're like in anger and bargaining. Like he's, he's, you know, oh. he's like bargaining with the the country as a whole. With the, with the, uh, the that's government a good point. At this point with the lawyers. <laughs> like, he's got to bargain them. You know, because uh, we're definitely not. We're we're. St so depression he has yeah yeah what's the first one shock so, and denial shock and denial okay. and then pain and guilt and Ooh. then anger and bargaining then depression huh? then the upward turn oh maybe that's where we are i don't He's, think he ever went through the latter part of number two though yeah pain, pain and, and guilt. guilt he has no guilt that's not a thing it's he not has. even no it can't he can't, can't it's feel not that. psychologically possible so we're still in shock and denial i think he's in three i think he jumped over two he's, that's classic trump yeah <laughs> he skips twos he skips twos <laughs> obviously that's why he's so fat he's full of shit <laughs> and then uh, the nightmare that the, the whoever's working on this tour with them, uh, the nightmare they must be going through. It's like they're. Uh, the That's who I want on the show. Right? Just when they That's thought it was. That's who I over. want on the show. If you're I a want, roadie, please reach out. What is it like? Because I know you're being screamed at. When I worked at Fox News, uh, Bill O'Reilly, you know, he had a massive, obviously, I think everyone knows there was a bit of a sex scandal. So we were in the same green room for Red Eye as he had with the O'Reilly factor. And so if they would go live, 
Because we would we would tape at eight and it would air at three. But if you went live, he would have to tape at eight live, right? Yeah, fuck and it, we're so, doing it live. Fuck it, we're doing it live. But most of the time, he would pre-record at three p.m. and it would air at eight. So, but if breaking news happened, obviously you go live. So as soon as that happened, then this so would be like, oh, Bill's got to come. All of the hair and makeup people left. We all had to leave. He would bring his own hair and makeup people in, <laughs> but they would still be working with Fox. It was only because it was just the people that could handle they it. They could be it, harassed. It was just the people <laughs> yeah. who were like, yeah, fine. I'm going to work with Bill um, because everyone else he sexually harassed. And so everyone had horrible stories of working with him. He's mean. He's just like a Scrooge. He's just screaming constantly. And then on top of that, he's like, eh, what if you blow me? It's like so bad. <laughs> so that man was such a walking, waking, freaking nightmare. Um, this whole tour is going to be an old man clusterfuck, which also, if you want to see that, uh, make sure to search Lemon Party uh, because that's what the name should be. This should be the Lemon Party Tour. Ooh, Just old dudes sucking each party. other's cocks. <laughs> wow. Anyway, enough about those two assholes. Um, the Biden administration, this is actually a more serious conversation to have. And uh, this is uh, talking about race and uh, and the vaccine. The Biden administration is having a very difficult time convincing African-Americans to get the vaccine. Right now, African-Americans are actually falling behind uh, other groups in the country who are getting the vaccine because, of course, as we've talked about before on this show, the massive and in many cases rightful justified. distrust, yeah. justified distrust of the federal government, specifically by the black community, given the history of, of testing and right. uh, just overall I understand them not trusting the U.S. government to being, again, incarceration oh, yeah. rates and how the government has treated uh, the most vulnerable of our population. But what's happening right now is less than a quarter of black Americans have received their first COVID-19 shot. That's of June 7th. So this is really recent data. And the government is trying to you know, tick up a little bit the importance of the vaccine. They're trying to, right. you know, talk about the vaccine and how it's not going to, you know, do anything. It's not going to track. But this is one of those interesting areas of the Venn diagram of, you know, like a white militia thinker, an Infowars thinker, mm. and then someone who is part of a group that has been demonized and devastated by the U.S. federal government. And now all of a sudden, you're not being mandated, and thankfully so, because that would have led to a civil war. But you are being highly encouraged to do something that you may not, again, you just don't trust the federal government. And if you look at the history of disease testing and everything else, I understand. Right. But it, so it's this really sad side effect of a history that we have in this country that is still happening today. And again, less than a quarter of African-Americans have received their first shot. This is according to Octavia Martinez. She's the executive director of the Hogg Foundation. No, that's not the sponsor group for the O'Reilly Trump rally. <laughs> the Hogg Foundation for Mental Health. Uh, this is what she says. She says, it's a tough layer that we have to address. It requires relationship building, and it's going to take a little longer. Uh, she goes on to say, we have a systemic issue here. So this does have to be figured out mm -hmm. because the black community... You know, talk about getting devastated economically by COVID. Right. Many of those jobs mm -hmm. were uh, were African American jobs. Right. Many of those jobs were service jobs. Uh, many of those jobs were you know middle class, working class jobs filled by people who are working paycheck to paycheck. Right. So you have that aspect of COVID, and now you have the other aspect of COVID where there's such distrust with the government. So that's going to lead obviously to you know illness and sickness, and that'll just cause a whole nother 
series of problems. So this really is a big issue. And obviously I'm not, we ain't solving it here, but it is something to remember. Trust has to be built with the federal government and minority groups, specifically African-Americans. And of course, Native Americans, that's a whole nother can of worms. Right. But trust has to be built. And sadly, it really can't take that much longer because people are going to continue to be sick. They're going to get ill and die and it'll be absolutely devastating so it you is know, one of those uh unint- it's one of those strange side stories unintended uh, unintended consequence, consequence yeah. of, of mass uh, incarceration and and systemic racism i'd be interested to see uh statistics for worldwide how many people are refusing vaccines because this seems to me like a very american symptom too like you know there's people i'm assuming in other countries who'd be you know, be fighting to get these vaccines. Of course. To right. be like, you know. Well, we spoke with, with uh, Henry and I spoke with a great fella uh, from uh, from Edinburgh, a wonderful author. And they're not like, they're so far behind again. They're like doing lockdown shit. And he was making fun of us. He was like, the U, everyone was making fun of the U.S. in 2020. And now you all got the vaccine. I was like, I got mine at Ralph's, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we are doing good. Right. And there are places that would be so desperate for it. You are right. Right, right now there, uh, there's actually a, a big movement from the G7 countries and mm-hmm. the, the developed countries to send any extra vaccines to the impoverished nations that are very short of uh, vaccines right now. I, um, I was watching the news last night. India, uh, their cases are finally dropping again after a 61-day oh, hellscape over there. And speaking of the disparity, you know, we talk about the wealth gap in this country. India is gnarly, dude. Yeah, right. India is so nasty. It's very gnarly. The caste system. It's so freaking gross. It's even referenced in Anne Rand's, uh, what was that big book that she wrote that was way too long and never got edited? I'm not sure. <laughs> she did. And she, that's the, the only thing, kind of book she wrote. That was the thing with Anne Rand. I tried to read uh, Fountainhead was Fountainhead. good. Well, yeah, but I tried to read, read the, the Living one. was good. I don't. Atlas shrugged. All right, I don't uh, don't don't say these names on dates, Travis. <laughs> so right. so you know it it uh, it's a very American thing. Like uh, you know, are are people in Africa refusing the vaccine at this rate? I you don't know, think I, they have enough. There, I don't. Exa- yeah. they, do the, but you are right. It's um, because with uh, with America. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some skepticism in Africa as well. I mean, you look at the Catholic Church for sterilization. Oh, I'm sorry, gosh. the uh, yeah. the African Jewish folks. Uh, they were also uh, right. sterilized. They were they were secretly sterilized. Well. As we will talk about this further uh, in episodes here in the future, we'll talk about forced sterilizations that are happening in migrant facilities. Right. So th- I think that distrust is pretty universal. I actually feel yeah. like now that I'm thinking about it, looking at the world as a whole, I think there's a lot of mistrust with people who have and those who have not. That exactly. And that yes. that's the big disparity, I think, too, in the what we're seeing in the U.S. It's the people who had money and weren't truly then i i mean people who really really were good off in the situation they aren't struggling getting the vaccine the people who were already hurt by this as you were just talked about are the ones that for some reason are also scared of the vaccine it's a psychological thing and again Mm. something that we can understand but also we do have to trust um just trust the science on this i promise you i got the vaccine and yes my dick fell off oh but i didn't want it anyway i got gills yeah, you have gills, but yeah. now you can breathe underwater. I can go in the ocean. I'm getting, I get HD channels in my teeth. Oh, dude, you're Watch like CNN all the time. You actually got the luckiest one, or did you? <laughs> According know. to James Hildreth, he is the CEO of the Meharry Medical College. Uh, he says we still, regarding of course the vaccine. He says we still have some places where the past history of bias, discrimination, and hate has just caused such an ingrained mistrust of political and social structures 
that it's hard to break that. He goes on to say, we need to make a stronger effort to bring the vaccine to the community uh, rather than relying on the communities to come to vaccine centers. Ooh, that is very true. Right there. That is very true. I know in Columbus, Ohio, there's a, a big uh, concerted effort to get minority populations out to vote because often it's hard for them to even get to the polls. That could be another factor in this entire thing, not just distrust, but just the fact that poor communities can't even get to places where the vaccines are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we just have to hope that people are, are doing the right thing and keeping themselves safe. According to Reed uh, Tuxen, a founder of the Black Coalition Against COVID-19, he says, we realize that this is the critical moment in the struggle. He goes on to say it's going to take a lot of effort from a lot of different places. Administration officials insist that Biden can still hit his 70 percent goal without a significant acceleration in black vaccinations. Not that that should be the freaking goal. Right. right now, they say around 62% of the country has become uh, vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So 70%, that is a great goal. Um, but we would like to have all ships rise together here. Right. Because if one group of people isn't getting the vaccine, it's just going to make, it's just going to set things back. It's going to start another outbreak. I mean, if, yeah. who, who uh, yes. you mentioned these people are the service industry. A lot of these people are working people. They're interacting with everybody. So it's important. Yeah, it really is. Hey mom, first things first. Thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help. And yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. And then just lastly, before we get to our conversation with Dante West, uh, the Justice Department has announced two new steps to reduce gun violence. And uh, this is what we call like it's not even a Band-Aid. Mm. It's like it's like when uh, Monica took a piss on that person's leg in Friends after he got stung by a <laughs> stung by a <laughs> jellyfish. jellyfish. Yeah. This is barely a remedy. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, literally. So these are the two steps. And again, this is just working. <laughs> this is just doing stuff to do stuff. But the the Department of Justice announced two new steps. So this is according to Jen Psaki. Two new steps to stem the epidemic of gun violence in our country. Uh, following through on the president's uh, president and attorney general's announcement in April. Uh, to set uh, these initial uh, restrictions. So basically what's going to happen is one of the rules is it makes it clear that using devices to convert pistols into short-barreled rifles is subject to the requirement of the National Firearms Act. Oh, that's a pretty strict one. <laughs> and the other one is uh, to increase these so-called kind of red flag laws, which again uh, are needed because if someone is getting a bunch of guns and acting in a certain way, you wonder how many of these tragedies could be avoided. And I say that also because true talk, Ben Kissel, true talk. Mm. These people who are about to commit mass murder, 
they signal it. Yeah, they give you signs. They yeah. give you signs. <laughs> they do. They post stuff. They because they want attention. And many That's of them, the, you know, you you know? listen to some of them in post. I forget who we were covering on last podcast. It was some obviously some serial killer. But he mentioned how uh, no one stopped him. No one stopped me. So I took it as a sign. Mm. So red flag laws are literally just like, go say hello to your neighbor. <laughs> and, you know, just like this doesn't mean you be a neighbor from hell and like put binoculars on and be like, what's he doing over there tonight? It's not the burbs, you know, <laughs> but just have a society. Right. Having a society. And then you can be like, wow, Bob. Another AR-15, huh? <laughs> wow. What you got going on with... What you thinking about, Bob? You got a barbecue this weekend? You got a barbecue? You got, oh, you, you said you have plans. What plans do you have? Yeah, okay. There's that big concert. You didn't have a ticket, though. You want to just go... Uh, oh, I see. Be. I really think... You know, it's so cliche and it's so corny and it's way too you know widespread. But the sentiment of having a relationship with your neighbors and having a community, when it comes to red flag laws, that could be a very good thing to be like, hey... All right, dude's dude's going a little crazy here, and I say dude on purpose because it is mostly the boys <laughs> that get a little nuts with the guns. You know, I'm 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 waiting to see a female. You know, I'm waiting to see. We a had female. the YouTube one. We had the YouTube. Women kill differently. Women kill like they but they poison. do. A, it's a it's a mental thing. But, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they slowly they it's a it, it's actually just you know, at least men at least at least they show you the gun. <laughs> with women you're like how am i how are you how, killing me what's the power dead? are you I'm using <laughs> and now i'm dead and i don't even i didn't even know it i didn't see it coming it's different that's why i don't eat the different soup. red flags yeah it's a whole different red yeah <laughs> don't eat soup because there's different. guns in it there's guns in the soup <laughs> man those are kidney beans those are bullets oh my god according to uh, attorney general merrick garland who should actually be on the supreme court but uh obama wasn't able to get him through it is what it is now we have the psycho amy coney barrett who got walked in? Everyone's like, "Oh, Amy County, she's fine." Mm. Woman's a psychopath. This is what Merrick Garland had to say. He says, "Today we continue to deliver on our promise to help save lives while protecting the rights of law-abiding Americans. We welcome the opportunity to work with our communities in the weeks and months ahead in our shared commitment to end gun violence. Will this end any gun violence? Uh, we'll have to wait, I guess, on data. I don't think it is. I mean." They're basically just saying like, don't no sawed off shotguns. Right. Yeah. It reminds like, me of the of the bump stock ban. Yes. It's just like, eh, you're banning a piece. It's an accessory. You have the whole thing. Right. Right. They do all these things, but they won't establish a national registry. They won't. They're right. There's no national registry for guns. Right. Well, there is a very poorly maintained one. You see the. <sighs> Just how are you supposed to do anything with red flags if no one is even, you know, if the uh, left hand is not talking to the right hand? It's it's not going to oh work. Oh, my God. You do not want my right hand talking. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, we'll continue to cover all of those stories and uh, and much, much more. But now it is time for our interview uh, with a man. His name is Dante West. I had a chance to meet him. I went to an event for The Last Prisoner Project, and it was fantastic. And the food was good. So I was happy to be there. Uh, Dante is an advocate uh, to... Uh, fix correct all of the horrible uh, marijuana laws we have in this country especially when it comes to incarceration there's 40 grand 40,000 people right now incarcerated and 70 million people living life with a criminal record which uh, as I'm sure all of you can imagine makes finding a job and living life a waking freaking nightmare Dante thank you so much for being on the show man I appreciate you guys having me on here man and I've seen you I've seen the tallest guy when I walked into the last prisoner projects charity event and I'm like I gotta meet that guy right there, man, standing there. That's great. 
I'm so happy you chose to go with tallest and not fattest because both would have been true. (laughs) (laughs) But Dante, can you tell us a little bit about your story, how you got involved with Last Prisoner Project? I know that you had, uh, I think, three years incarcerated for a marijuana violation. Maybe just kind of discuss, um, yeah, just sort of uh, what was that first initial process into the criminal justice system? like for you when you realized holy shit i am up crap creek without a paddle without a paddle is right on point man i mean i started off uh they gave me like almost eight years for a pound of marijuana so i'm sitting there i'm in the cell you know my grandmother passes my oh. go to foster care so i'm just like man what i'm gonna do to get out and it was just every day i was motivated to work towards something whether it be like going through clemency or going through just working on my case in general um, but I ended up writing a motion, right? I took me about three years to write a motion. I wrote this motion, um, dialed it all the way in. I sent the motion off to the courts. Uh, a guy came and see me, like an old guy came and see me. I'm like, who are you? He was like, I'm your public defender. Uh, he reads the motion to me, said, man, this is a great motion. I'm going to go take it to the district attorney. And see, we're going to go talk about it. You know, and like four months later, they immediately released me out of prison. They were going to retry my case, but. You know, I was speaking with the DA, man, and the DA was like, man, you know what? I'm going to dismiss your case outright. Now I'm free today. I've been out almost six months, so it's great, man. But as soon as I got out, yeah. you know, the last prisoner projects, Eric Murray, he was at my first court date. And then ever since then, they've just been family. So the That's awesome. project is amazing. I mean, I, like, I'm forever in debt with them. That is awesome. What's that process like? So you're sitting in the cell. You're like, I can't believe I'm in here for marijuana. This is insane. They've taken my sovereignty. They've taken my autonomy over something that is making people millions and millions of dollars in other states. How did you even begin to to get the uh, wherewithal? You have to basically you're going through law school on the wrong end. You're basically going. You have to. Did you have to um, educate yourself on how to write a motion? And how did you even begin that process? When you must have felt so unbelievably, you know, naturally restricted and and uh, in many ways just completely um, a number in a system. Yeah, I mean, it's like I was just so motivated to go home. So what I was doing, I was reading. I probably read every law book in there that was relevant to my situation. So I would just read, 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 read. And then they have this program called LexisNexis. So it's a computer. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can select and look at the case laws and certain things like that. But I kept reading the cases that were winning. And when I was reading those cases, I was like, uh, let me start winning the cases that lost because they go more into detail. Right. So when I start reading those compared to my case, it started to make more sense. You know, when I first started reading law books and reading those cases, it was like Chinese language almost. Right. Right. Uh, because they, they hit you with words. You know how lawyers are. They hit you with words that are kind of tricky, whether it be a contract or... Uh, yes. No, I know. It's it's insane. It'll be like this elongated carb, yeah. uh, whatever. You mean spaghetti, dude? You mean yeah. spaghetti, right? Like every... I, I took... Uh, I got my degree in political science, so I had to take a few law classes. And that was the thing that just aggravated me so much. I was like, why are you using this word to describe a tomato? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's like a simple conversation we have. They just make it too complicated. And the next thing you know, you're in prison. Exactly. You know? But as you read it so much, you start to understand a lot. So the more I read it, the more I understood what position I was in. And once I did that, it was just like sky's the limit. I mean, he came up and he seen me and 
But just, man, the process, man, being there three and a half years and you get out, and it's unfortunate because some inmates, um, they get out, they got to be on parole. So parole right. years, you know, are dependent on the state. They can cut it in half. You do a percentage of it. But then after that, you got to wait five years in certain states, or really the most states, to even, you know, be considered to get exonerated to not have no felony. So in my situation, I was blessed. I don't have a felony you know, I can go run for county office if I want to in that city. I won't. Right. You know, you know I have that opportunity now. I mean, it's actually unfortunate that you didn't get the felony. That would have helped your political career um, <laughs> because I think we can uh, safely say that's where the criminals are. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maximum security, just being in prison there and, you know, your bunkies are murder and I'm in there for a pound of butt. You know, like. Right. And you mentioned, you know, the parole situation, which I would love to speak with you about as well. When it comes to 70 percent recidivism, I would assume parole. I think uh, there's a misconception that it's there to make sure everyone stays on the straight and narrow. But it seems to me like they're just ready to grab you and throw you back. And that's kind of their role. Yeah. I mean, some some of them have a hope. They feel like they have to uphold with society where this person's already a repeat offender, already got a preconceived judgment of them. So they think. You know, we may think uh, we I mean, we know that smoking a joint's not bad, especially, you know, because how much it helps you. But then I uh, got a, a parole officer that's a little older and got a little bit of mind like you're back on the wrong path. You're out of here. You're going back to jail. You're going back to prison. So it's just like awareness and education amongst the legislators and the district attorneys that we vote in is always key in the area. So we got to make sure we pay attention to that uh, because. A lot of people just think it's the president we vote for or the governor we vote Absolutely. for. Absolutely. A district attorney that's sitting in there, we vote for him too. And he decides whether or not, you know, you get that chance or not. And those oh, judges. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Travis can attest to this. So he's ran for public office many times. Um, off your elections are so important. The presidential election is one thing, but it's all about the local races, the local municipalities, the local house seats. That's really where you see true impact of the society. That's where you see the true impact of these laws. So you have to pay attention to those. So anyone listening for 2022, don't take the year off. That's actually more exciting in some ways uh, to get involved in the local level of politics because your vote truly matters because, of course, the turnout, as you said, Dante, was it's much lower. Yeah, yeah, it's much lower. I mean, the turnout's crazy. So if you think about the last prisoner projects, they, they they started a great organization, which I call family to where you go to prison for marijuana or you're affected by the war on drugs, in particular cannabis. They're going to help you with reentry. They're going to help you bring awareness to an incarcerated individual. You can go on Take Action website, which is on the last prisoner project page, and you can go click right there and just dive into the details they're doing. They got petitions where you can sign the petitions and you know, even if you have money, it's not always about money. It's just awareness, following the page, hitting the like button, sharing a post, you know, bringing awareness because absolutely that know that this is wrong. If you stand for equality, you know, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear you mentioned how you're uh, you were bunking with a murderer, obviously, in there for a pound of weed. These two crimes don't seem to be uh, they don't seem to be comparable. Uh, you wouldn't imagine that they would be. That's like housing someone who is going uh, to get a master's degree in bowling with someone who's trying to get a master's degree in like biological science or something. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's so ridiculously ludicrous to lump a murderer in with somebody who was busted with a pound of weed. 
Can you talk a little bit, and I don't want to get too personal, so feel free to just you know edit yourself or make yourself as comfortable as possible. But when it comes to dehumanization, uh, that seems to be the first key uh, to uh, letting somebody know they have no more freedom and uh, to letting somebody know that uh, uh, your ass is mine literally and figuratively and we can do anything we want to you. Uh, how, how devastating was that process for you when... Uh, you know, you go in and you do the whole nine and it's a it's a freaking nightmare. That must have been horrifying, bro. I mean, humiliation is is key. Key word that you said. You walk in, you got to get ass naked. No, you know what I mean? Pull your pants down. Let me see what you got going on. Make sure right. you and you got to do that. You know, every time they ask you to do it, you know, they could just wake you up at two in the morning and say get naked. You know what I mean? So it's like the humiliation of that. And it's all men just looking at you. You know, it's just like it dehumanize you, you know, especially in the beginning. You know, and they wake you up at 2.30 in the morning, they ransack your room uh, just also random because that's what they got to do. Uh, and it, it's just, it's horrible, man. And even more so, it's like, you know, they could take your phone away at any time. They could tell you to go to bed. So it's just like they put you in a realm of they treat you equal as somebody that, you know, was a child molester. They treat you equal. Oh. With and there's a lot of people that deserve to be in there, you know, uh, but mm -hmm. there's a whole lot more that don't. You know, and people don't need to be humiliated. We're humans. The food they feed you, I mean, it's horrible. You know, uh, they're not giving you the proper nutrition. And it's just horrible. I mean, healthcare is, is not the best because even when COVID, I was in there with COVID, I actually caught COVID in prison. Oh. And it's just like when people don't, you know, the, the, the our own, you know, at the beginning of the COVID, a lot of people didn't know what was going on, but let alone the prison system and their kind of doctors that's in there. You know, it's even more crazy. So you're not getting the best food. You know, you're in a COVID. I mean, I would see a guard work one day and then next day the guard would be dead. You know, they'd be like, what happened to uh, Debbie? Oh, Debbie passed away yesterday. I'm like, man, a dude was just working here a couple of days ago. Then you got guards just waking. I mean, died. so it's so crazy, man. I just can't believe that. It's, it's humiliating from just the care, but also just like, where you can't, if you say no to somebody on getting naked or strip search or going to the chow hall, or whatever you say no to that guard, that guard can put you in somewhere where you can't contact your family for weeks. Um, it's called the hole, you know? So yeah, it, it, it's an unfortunate situation. I want to wish it on my worst enemy. How did you psychologically deal with all of that then when you did feel so alone and you're hanging out, like literally you're being bunked with a murderer and I mean, what's because there's no way to prepare it. Even if you watch that hit Will Ferrell movie, uh, what was that with? Uh, <laughs> going to prison? Going to prison or whatever. Yeah, right. Bob Odenkirk's movie. Go be, be somebody new. You better toughen up up there. Huh? <laughs> yeah. But like, it seems like the physical, you can do all the push-ups and sit-ups in the world. It's the six pounds of jelly between our ears. It seems like that's the muscle that you would have to train. And it doesn't seem like there's any way to do it until you get there and it's like so psychologically how long did it take for you to be like because they try to break you down but unlike the marines they don't try to build you back up they want you to be a pile of shit because that's an easier thing to take care of i guess how did you deal with that did you use any techniques and for anyone suffering in that situation right now maybe some some tips yeah for real i mean the motivating factor like i said before was my brothers i mean my brothers you sitting in the cell you know my grandma you know my grandmother passed away which raised us. uh never really knew my mom too much we really, really didn't know our mom uh we never was connected to our father so it was just us four um my two younger brothers me uh and my grandmother uh when she passed away it was just me and them two so 
sitting in a cell, man, every day you think about these two young nine and 10 year old boys, these young kids, you know, uh, oh. I had to drop them off at the foster family. So when you, when, when you sit, when you sit back and you think about what motivates your life and, and everybody that's watching, there, there's something that in, in your system, in your soul that motivates you, regardless of what you do, uh, no matter what it is, something that wakes you up in the morning. And for me, it was just me looking in the back seat, you know, seeing my brothers cry. Oh. Uh, as I bought this last flight that I'm gone for about four years, I mean, how can you not be motivated no matter what situation in when it comes to the people that you love the most, especially some young kids like that? Um, yeah. so it just gave me that sense of urgency to wake up every day at 430, you know, and read and, and study and work out and clear my mind and stay all the way focused. Uh, that's the, that was the motivating factor for me mentally and trying to keep me on that narrow path. Because yeah things you can do in prison i mean there's just as much drugs in the prison system that there is on the street so mm-hmm. you can go out and live a, you know and do what you want in prison past time and wake up like it's too because i'm really supposed to be in prison right now my out day is 2025 early as 23 um mm-hmm. but now that i'm free i'm like every day that I, i'm home i need to make it count you know and just like my attitude was in prison every day that i was in prison i need to make it count mm-hmm. uh better individual once i'm released so my brothers mentally, it helped me out a lot. I mean, without them, I'm not too sure where my mind would be, but. And uh, was the, uh, my father, my uh, family did foster care, emergency foster care starting when I was 12 years old. So we, I still have some younger foster brothers uh, that, I, that I'm very close with now who are, I mean, oh my goodness, he's 28 years old now. I'm, I'm getting old. I don't want to talk about it. My younger foster brother is 28 and we got him and he was two years old. Anyway, um, when it comes to your brother's experience, was it okay for them? Did they find a good foster home? Because yeah. um, naturally it's going to be super traumatic, um, but hopefully yeah. that they were taken care of. Yeah, the fortunate thing, they, you know, I was able to kind of choose um, amongst them. Oh, couple. nice. But, man, great foster uh, family. Uh, she's a great woman. Um, she's there. She did everything she can uh, for him. But now, now that I'm free, it's just like every day I kind of think about it as I – try to rebuild my life uh, after so many years they took care of me. My goal is to get back on my feet, get one roof. Um, California is very expensive. So yes, it is. Yeah, man. So if I can get that in order, get them under the same roof. I mean, they're 14 and 15. Now they just start in high school. One's in ninth, one's in 10th grade. So uh, I think that's, I think, you know, I know that that's what I want to do coming up soon, man. And, and perhaps I should have asked this earlier. I apologize. But what state were you incarcerated in? Uh, Kansas. Kansas. Okay. Because I just put the time. I'm I'm pretty quick on my feet. Uh, I just put it all together. It's like California has legal weed. If yeah. you were there. So it was Kansas. How did you feel being in prison? And Travis, please uh, feel free. And Fernando, f- feel free to ask questions. Um, how did you feel, though, as you saw Colorado is like weed tourism is up. Colorado is swimming in money. And you know weed at this point is legal in at what, 2018 when you were incarcerated initially? Yeah. So so that that so Colorado is legal. Uh, I think there may be some other states that are legal. I mean, that must have been so fucking infuriating. Yeah, I was incarcerated May of 2017. So right around that time. But it's so crazy where right? I'm sitting in the cell. And uh, I have ran a big clemency campaign. The Kansas City Star got involved in a lot of uh, media. But there was an article that came out. It was a tale of two Americas. And it was the, uh, a Missouri dispensary sold out in 48 hours, you know, in two days, all the weed they had. And then you got me right on the state over 
in Kansas City. So Kansas City, Missouri sells out in 48 hours. And you got me incarcerated in, uh, near Kansas City, Kansas, which is almost like two minutes away. Oh. Our, right. And this article comes out, they get the same paper so close, right? So I'm looking at the paper and I see, I see me on the front page and I'm just like, wow, like, where are we going with this? You know, and then I get released and it was like, uh, will they retry him on this uh, marijuana case? And I'm just like, wow, like, you'd be so close, but the attitude is so different. You know what I mean? And it's just like, how do you sit back and you go, you live in California and my whole life I'm living in California. I'm like, who's legal? I mean, people got, you know, got OG aunties, got a little weed plant in front of their house growing yeah. in pure water. You yeah. Know, or smoking joints freely. You don't think nothing bad of it, like being around. But school doesn't educate you about these other states that have these crazy drug laws that are like, you get caught with a zip of weed, you do five years in prison. But if you get caught with a pound of weed, you do uh, eight years in prison, no matter if you got criminal history or not, you know, right. what I mean? educate you on that. So if you go to college and you got a little bit of marijuana and you think everything is fine and dandy, next thing you know, you got a felony and you start to build a criminal record. And then once you build that criminal record, it's like, it, it is, it keeps going and going and going. And then once they really catch you, then they can send you off for years. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mess up. You're just, just real. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Travis, do you have anything? Yeah, Dante, thank you so much for um, sharing your story. I mean, obviously, Last Prisoner Project is going to be doing some important work. Um, your story is not unique. There's millions and millions of Americans who've been caught up in this as well. I wanted to, uh, you know, you, you really hit a nerve there on, on the fact that there you were in prison uh, for a pound of weed and, and sharing that bunk with, with a murderer. Obviously, there's a big movement right now to separate drug criminals, you know, the nonviolent mm -hmm. criminals uh, versus the others. Did I mean, Kansas is its own thing, obviously, but um, what are you seeing in terms of progress and at least moving towards the right direction in terms of treating drug crimes differently? Obviously, weed's completely, you know, like we pointed out, it's legal in so many states now over half of the I country. I mean, hell, shrooms and uh, yeah, everything else Oregon. is decriminalized in, in, decriminalized in Oregon. I mean, yes, and, and Colorado's following that suit. Um, so weed's one thing, obviously there should be a different set of rules for that. It, it should just be decriminalized. Um, but what are you seeing in terms of harder drugs, heroin, opioids, things like that? Are, is there any, um, are there any states that are kind of going in the right direction with criminal justice reform when it comes to drug criminals, as opposed to, and specifically when it comes to housing, it sounds like yes, you're asking. So yes, specifically, why is yeah. somebody in there for weed hanging out with a murderer? Because next thing you know, you have to defend yourself against the murderer. Now you have a murder charge. <laughs> right. Uh, 
it, it's crazy. I mean, sometimes they, you know, the warden is a good warden um, over there at Lansing, um, but they just sometimes people got an old guy in there that committed a murder and he's pretty close to getting out. And, uh, you know, they just house you with him. You know what I mean? They try to house you by age and by crime, but it's so overpopulated. It's so crowded that, you know, the chances of you getting to select the person you live with is kind of hard, but they try to be, they try to be better at it. They try to be, you got minimum custody. So when I started off, I was max and then I went to minimum and then COVID happened. And then they moved me to maximum because it's more of an isolated area. So, but they just mm-hmm. move in with who they want you to move you in with. So you're in there with high, medium and just different type of inmates. And it's just the way it is. But, you know, as I see the states emerging, um, you know, the county I was convicted in, you know, I had spoke with the DA and the DA was really open to me just getting this drug court up and going so we can prevent people from going. You know, I could have I could have had an attitude to the point where it was like, I'm turning my back. Like they said, it took majority of my life away, majority of my 20s away. And yeah, uh, right. I, I don't want to be around him. But at the end of the day, that doesn't make change being bitter. So, you know, I was talking with the district attorney and he's open to making a drug court and making a change and preventing people from going to prison, you know? So if that, if I can do that and I can make a change and I can inspire somebody, you know, to prevent someone else from going to prison, uh, I don't have to go through what I have to go through. Then it's an amazing feeling, man. I just want to inspire. I just want to help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you are inspiring and you are helping a lot of people. You know, you mentioned a few things and we've obviously, when we talk about the war on drugs, it is a, such a psychological war as well as a tangible war uh, where people actually end up in cuffs and, uh, you know, you, you end up your life is not ruined because of marijuana. Your life is ruined because of the system. But we see how unbelievably systemic and dangerous this can be, specifically if you look at what happened with the Derek Chauvin case. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, George Floyd, you know, the man was murdered nine and a half uh, minutes on his neck. We all saw the tape. We all know what happened. And thank God Chauvin was found guilty of that. But there was another officer there with him. Um, and I forget the name of the officer. Uh, perhaps Tao. Yeah. And he kept on saying, this is what happens when you do drugs. This is what happens when you do drugs. Right. And so we have this psychological image in our minds where it's like, well, Oh my God, this guy did drugs. And so he, despite the fact this man is on his stomach, uh, suffocating to death, in the minds of some, including this officer, he's still dangerous, more dangerous, because he uh, has done drugs. So when it comes to the psychological effect of like people just demonizing someone for the idea, that has been a hard thing, I think, as a country to, to get over still. I mean, Obviously, the economics of legal marijuana has helped a lot of people see the see the air quotes light. John Boehner uh, being one of them, who is now with the marijuana lobby, a man who was complicit in the criminal justice, uh, you know, horrible uh, reforms of the 90s and whatnot. Um, So how do you how do we get past that psychological like this is what happens when you do drugs? And it's like, no, I think this is what happens when a massive jackass who is a militarized member of the police force commits murder. That's what happens. It's nothing to do with the drugs. No, it has nothing to do with the drugs. It's just all about their perception. You know, honestly, it's, it's kind of like this, right? Um, as I noticed, like, as I'm in the Midwest um, and you th- California is so diverse, but you see out here, like, there's still secluded neighborhoods, right? So you interact with the people that look like you. And then when people move in that may not look at you, the communication is different, you know, unfortunately. So you always got this preconceived judgment of somebody before you kind of really mean it. So it was just like a lack of awareness, lack of education. So you, you pull a guy over like these, these individuals right here and 
you automatically assume they're dangerous by what they look like or, or you read, you run the license place and you see they got prior felonies or prior drug use and you automatically think these individuals are dangerous. So you, you, you approach them with aggression instead of approaching them as a human, as a human being right. just with them and, and treating them uh, equal, you know, um, and it's unfortunate. It's like that. And I think things are, I think things are hopefully going to change, you know, as we bring awareness and people march and people use their voice and let them know that they're concerned about what everything that's going on. I think things will be even better, you know, as things go on, but you know, you live in these neighborhoods and like, for instance, you know, I don't want to speak on anybody else's, but uh, for instance, I lived in a neighborhood. It was like a neighborhood of poverty and, uh, Everybody lived in the neighborhood looked like me. You know, we we're all African-American. There was a few Mexicans and we go over to the nice neighborhood and, you know, people would look at you funny because they're not used to you being around, you know? So, right. and it's unfortunate that people look like that as a, as of a danger, not all, there's always good people, right? I think of there's course. good judgment and bad judgment, you know, and good people and bad people. Right. So there's a handful of good people in, uh, there too, but it's just, it's just that stereotyping of, of the individuals that, that are like us and, um, it, it'll change through education, through awareness. Um, like the DA, I don't think the DA, you know, and I don't want to be speaking out the side of my mind, but I don't think the DA interacted with too many African-American individuals. But when I talked to him and, I, and we just spoke, you know, in general, he was just so inclined and, and so happy just to have a conversation to make change. Um, I, I bet you there's not any, any, any inmates, ex-inmates, or even people that just talk, you know, heart to heart with you. Um, yeah get to know you and get a feel for you then their then their then their perception of you is different it just takes that one individual to show that maybe they're not all bad you know or one may had an encounter and was like man they're terrible let's make sure we, we approach them with aggression you know so i don't know down the line with those guys what their first interaction was and it could have turned out bad where it messed it up for everybody but you know we got to continue to bring awareness and show that uh, to judge somebody before you even talk to them is not good at all yeah, you know, uh, Dante, you you bring up uh, you bring up perspectives a lot, and so this is obviously this is obviously um, different people are affected differently by this. So you you know, obviously, me and you are people of color, so we are more detrimentally affected by drugs just in our communities. Uh, when the law finds out we're using drugs, when drugs when drugs are involved in our lives, it's different for say Ben and you know Travis mm -hmm. when drugs are involved in their lives because they're. Of white men, it is what it is. Weed has been legal for me my entire life. Right, exactly. For all intents and purposes. So, so I guess my question is, how do we, how do we talk to people like that? If that makes sense, how do we talk to white people different than how we talk to people of color versus how we talk to poor people versus how we talk to rich people? I mean, because it has, to, we have to have different conversations. Because but if at I, the same time, you don't want to code switch. Okay, that's exactly what I'm saying. How do we have a conversation about the different perspectives we all have mm -hmm. without, you know, without flip-flopping without seeming like a you know like a i got you know any any politician without flip-flopping to just uh, yeah. cater to the audience yeah i know it's a really loaded question and it's a lot there but i mean uh, obviously me and you probably can can answer that maybe yeah for sure we can answer that i mean it's like this i mean the same way you have a conversation with your mom it's the same not the conversation you're gonna have with your homeboy exactly the knob it's always a knob people don't think it's a knob but it's always a knob even if you don't want it to be when you walk in and you talk to a customer service agent, it, it's a conversation. Every conversation is different. You, some, some places you got to be professional. Some, some places you can just relax, you know, and be you. Some places you got to just, you know, is this different? Is this different depending on the situation? And then as far as the neighborhoods go, right, as you discussed, it's like living in poverty. Of course, 
the mayor is going to send more police in those poverty neighborhoods because they're more higher crime. So you got more of an opportunity to, you know, some of the biggest drug dealers are in the richest neighborhoods, right? Yes. But the poverty is what they're going to police because that's crime. So you get up and you see, you know, what motivated me, what inspired me was these dope boys that were in my hood. They had nice cars, nice clothes, never seemed like they were hungry. And those are my role models. That's who I right. look I didn't see no doctors. I didn't see no lawyers. I didn't see anybody else. Those are the people I see. Those are the people I do at a young age. So, and I seen people on TV, like sport athletes out there. And those people were motivating too. So you would just see these two type of people and you would go through your day and, and you would look at these people. Like, I want to be like you. I want to have those things. So, but as I noticed, as I got older and I seen it when I was like 14 or 15 living in poverty, you would see these police cars, just wait, wait for a car to exit out the hood and just pull it over search the car, give it a ticket. And then they would do that 10 times. Next thing you know, they didn't did it three times. It's three strikes law. You're out of here. So whether they had a gun, drugs, whatever the case may be, but mm. just, it's, it's really set up for us to fail in a way, um, unfortunately, because, you know, a lot of us are in poverty, welfare, and only how you gonna get low income housing is to go live in a ghetto. And then of course, victims of a quota system. And as we saw in Ferguson, uh, the municipality was making, I think about half of their overall finances were coming from citations. And that was never the point of law enforcement. The law enforcement was never supposed to be an extension of the tax. And that's really what it became. It's it's a black tax, it's a poor tax. Uh, you know, they used to do drills. The officers used to pull people over and be like, how many tickets can we you know, create out of the ether because the laws are so so broad and so vague they can fucking write you up for anything but when it comes to uh some of the steps that you think we should take um where do you think like what are just obviously i would say getting rid of uh what i just mentioned um quotas getting rid of police quotas stop having municipalities make so much money off of citations what would you like to see in a tangible real life as we talk about police reform what are some things that you think police could do right off the bat that would make for more equality and just a more humane, um, more humane policing. Cause you're right. Cops are cop. And if I have somebody break into my house, I'm going to be calling the police. So it's like, it's fun to say defund the police and all of this stuff, but push comes to shove. Those are also the first people that are going to be calling the cops. So, yeah. so I understand the need for, for this just as we have the fire department, but then also they were never supposed to have the role that we have given them in society, which is to literally make money for municipalities based on quotas and tickets. So what are just some things in your mind that we could do right off the bat as a society to make it fair, to make it more equal? I would, to make it more equal, I think that the police, in my opinion, should dive into their community. You know, dive into the community and really yep. the people. Let them know that they're there to help. They're not there to ruin their lives because you got some that won't even talk to us, you know, without being aggressive or disrespectful. Mm -hmm. If you got them as a whole, um, if a community as a whole dives in and, and they see him interacting and being around, you see funny videos on TikTok where, you know, officers are trying to change that perception. Like I've seen, I've seen one where a guy was walking to, to work for like a year almost. And then he turns around and buys him a car, you know, so there's our good police officer. If someone dies right now, you walk in your house and get shot. It's like how you said, you're going to call the police, you know, you're going to ask for help. So people got to realize that, there's good, there's good ones out there. And I just encourage the police to go out there and just dive into the communities. And also mm -hmm. that people that look like me that are minorities, just, you know, I was talking to master P the first thing you kind of want to do is comply. You know, you don't want to give them a reason, you know, and unfortunately sometimes 
even if you didn't give them a reason, they still gun you down. But it's just like mm-hmm. you can to not escalate the situation uh, because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I encourage like the community just to, just to comply and try to, you know, do the right thing when you get pulled over because you don't know how it can unfold and we don't want it to unfold in a bad way. Uh, just when it comes to what we saw in Minneapolis recently, where the female officer thought that she pulled her taser, according to her, and she actually pulled her gun and yeah. shot a man. Pretty two. Uh, they're two very different instruments that weigh totally different and feel totally <laughs> different in your hand. But what do I know? Um, do you what do you think about disarming the police? Because you go, you know, we've traveled overseas for last podcast on the left and uh, you see different how police different police operate. I don't think that every single officer needs a sidearm. I don't think so. I know some, obviously. But what do you think about disarming the police? You know, you have rubber bullets. There's so many different methods to detain people uh, that don't require fatalities. Right. Um, So what do you think about that idea? I mean, to confuse your pistol, which is way heavier, with the taser, which are two different colors, that screams poor training, you know, in my eyes. I mean, that screams poor training. She was in charge of the training. (laughs) Yeah. So how many more... Uh, it's like the fruit of the poisonous tree, right? Like how many more right. are like you in this world that you train that is going to confuse the same items? So I think, man, it's just training and education is the key, especially with things like that, you know, because, you know, it's unfortunate that she did something like that and there's consequences to it, you know, and the justice system is going to be served, hopefully, but it's just like... hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it's horrible. It's a horrible feeling, man, just to see, you know, things like that unfold. You know, you know, the sad to say, and I don't want to say it like that, but I just wish he wouldn't have ran. You know, I wish he would have just, you know, been there. He Hopefully he would have been still there to there. But, you know, that's not the case, but it makes no excuse. You know, it's no explanation for what she did, you know. and so Absolutely. I do think, though, as the question you think, I think not all these officers need guns, you know. Mm. You know, I think maybe some, that's what you got SWAT team for. Exactly. SWAT when you need them. But the first interaction, they're supposed to be community servants. You know, when you take an oath oath to, you know, I'm protecting and serving the people. Like the people come first and then me. But sometimes they put it where I'm first and then not you. So I think it's it's the training for sure. We we know that we can say uh, take guns away from police officers. We we can do all these other sure. things, but the United States is a very victim blaming country. You know, we're, it's a very victim blaming society. So every time something like this happens, where an officer kills a, a person, especially a person of color, you we blame the person of color, and we're gonna you know it's something that keeps happening in this country because of the nature of the, of uh, the society we live in. We're victim blamers. What? besides comply besides you telling me if an officer stops you comply what can we really tell people of color what can we tell men of color like does that make sense because to me if you tell me to comply that's just not enough because they're still killing us we're complying and they're still killing us what do you genuinely tell people of color more effective if or is comply the most effective thing you can say no i would say just you know unfortunately man it's just i would say just it go back to this, pay attention to, you know, what mayor you put in there, you know, because look at, look at what they're doing to help educate the police department to prevent situations like this. It starts from the top of the branch, you know? Absolutely. So it's like, I can tell people of color many things, right? Uh, will they listen? 
you know, maybe, maybe not, you know, but uh, it, it starts with voting. You know, it, I can't stress it enough, man. It starts with it starts with the top of the chain. You put a mayor in, and then the mayor has the police chief in, and then they train these lieutenants and these sergeants, and then it trickles down to street patrol. So it's just like if you could start at the top and just put someone in you believe in, or if you believe these people that are running are not suffice enough, right? You run for office. You know, you make yes. The you nominate somebody that you know is going to protect the community to your values. You know. Absolutely. Uh, Dante, if I could weigh in, it reminds me of Cori Bush, uh, the activist out of Ferguson, who is now a member of Congress. Um, she won her primary and she won her seat. Um, I mean, Ben and I have run for office. We usually get around. I slowly walked for office. Yeah, we, 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 it's a, it's like a jog. I would say okay, we usually get anywhere between two or 5%, but some, <laughs> someone like you, I mean, you talked about those local races, the judgeships, the DA races, the, the mayor, absolutely right. Police chiefs always serve at the pleasure of the mayor, depending on the city charter. Dante West, oh. can we see you running for office anytime in the future? Yeah, if I'm around for anything, it's going to be president. You know, I, I want to be. You got my vote. Yeah, I want to be the highest ranking official uh, that there is if, if if it comes down to it. You know, I got some years down the road before I can really qualify. But, you know, that's something I, I would want to do if the opportunity came. But, you know, there's so many things I'm trying to do with this, especially with the last person. Just bringing awareness, you know, letting people yeah. know my situation and my story. And hopefully it can make a change. Maybe a DA will watch this. Maybe a lawyer will watch this. Maybe they'll be motivated to go out there and, you know, run for office and do what's right. Because some people, that's some people real calling. Like they just love to serve the people and make a change and do different things like that. So you, you might see me uh, doing something like that eventually. But right now I'm going to do what I can and, uh, you know, just bring awareness to the platforms I can. I'm, I'm actually uh, in the process of making a film, a uh, 15-minute documentary. Um, with Kevin Wilmot, uh, awesome. J.S. Hampton, right here in Kansas. Uh, they want an Oscar man, uh, work with Spike Lee. So things like that is what I'm really interested in. I, I love the art of acting. I love the art of telling stories because they live forever. Absolutely. You know, um, this is tangentially tied to drug reform. Um, but we were talking about this earlier in the episode today about COVID. And I know obviously you were incarcerated during COVID. Um, but right now, only about a quarter of the African-American community has gotten the first dose of the vaccine. Uh, the Biden administration has been like, we, we want we want to get more you know, African-American people to get the vaccine. But naturally, there's a massive distrust of the federal government, of local governments because of the history of abuse uh, that the uh, you know, the black community has suffered at their hands. What are your thoughts on we talk about this all the time where it's like we have to build trust. We need to heal. I don't know if the nation has ever even addressed the true sins of its past to begin the healing process, but hopefully we have or we're getting there. When it comes to rebuilding trust with the institutions of power and the black community, it's obviously it's dangerous now because people are putting themselves, you know, in a, in a more dangerous place when it comes to their, you know, distrust of the COVID vaccine or whatever it is. Can you speak a little bit on the distrust of the black community with the federal government and just with government officials in general and like how that sort of manifested itself? into into like what we're seeing with covid for example yeah i mean it's gonna start with respirations african-american community you know what i mean like you guys see california is trying to do respirations but how can you trust the federal government when you know years i'm not saying that they're you know they're not trying to help now but like years you've just been at a disadvantage you know whether yeah. it be 
living in the area or, you know, the slavery days, you know, to where, you know, you look at them and, you know, the money that we spend, they're all slave owners. You know what I mean? So it's like you look at those things and, and you, 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 you tell history and some, you know, the school I went to never talked about black history because um, it was so gruesome, you know, about all the stuff that goes on. But as I get older, I watch these movies like Roots and uh, 12 Years of Slaves and different things like that. And you recognize, like, these people were, you know, not too nice to us, you know, a long time ago, you know. So when you come out with a vaccine and, and you're so corny to the point where I'll give you a free beer, you go get your shot, you go get <laughs> the hamburger and a drink, you know, people are looking at you like, are you serious right now? Like, for a vaccine? Like, that's how bad you want me to get it. You know, I would look at it like, oh, there's something really going on. You know what I mean? Um, but it, it, they got to build that trust, you know, just recognizing the giving people opportunities in the corporate world, you know, as you diversify your businesses, um, you know, in, in the corporate world, you know, in the corporate world, you know, you know show diversity, show that you're welcoming uh, people of color. And only time can change that, you know, as time goes and, we approve, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but it needs to happen because we don't yeah. want to, you know, our future children, future generation in, in a world of hate, you know? Yeah. Dante West. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Um, sure, man. I guess the only, the only, my final question, um, you mentioned reparations. And then of course the main question is what does that look like? How does that work? And one of the areas that were that could work and how we could make that happen is through the guarantee, um, uh, not grants, licenses, mm -hmm. weed licenses, uh, you know, specifically in the communities that have been, that have been most devastated by yeah. the war on drugs. Um, when we see so many corporations making so much money off of weed, it's great. I'm so happy people are making cash, yeah. but we need to make sure that the money goes the uh, bulk of the money goes to those communities that were most devastated. And with that in your mind, would that, um, would that be reparations? Would that be in your mind if they can get yeah. the light, if they do that? Is that, is, a, is that a version of reparations? No, it's definitely a version of reparations in my eyes. I think that's the key thing I kind of focus on, 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 on the respiration aspect. You see these people go to prison and I feel like they need an opportunity. Uh, fortunate in my situation, I have no record like we just discussed on the show. But yeah. you know, in court, Vancouver, you know, with the last prisoner projects also, you know, he started a brand, but he can't really touch the marijuana because he's on parole. And then he has to wait another few years to even get exonerated from it all. You know, so it's like he didn't have an opportunity, but people like me that create a business, you know, and want to be part of the legal market should have an opportunity to be there. And not only just me, uh, just people that get out in general, right? They should have an opportunity. So, and, and to your point, it's like there's two different licenses, right? And every county is different. Every state is different. But they got social equity license and then they got general pool. Now, some social equity is written out very poorly and some are written out good. For instance, they got one where if you go to prison for marijuana um, and you live in a poor neighborhood, then you have an opportunity to tell a compelling story to convince these councilmen to grant you a license in that city um, where you can be a business owner of color. You know, they got the minority business association where, you know, you got to be a member in order to be a qualified for that social equity applications. New York is really big on it. It just opened. So a lot of people have an opportunity there. But the unfortunate part of this is 
people will get out of prison and some do it family members also too. So even though your direct family member can't participate, your son may, or their parent may. So as a family, you guys have a business. Uh, that's something unique that I've been learning and I've been seeing, but it's, it's horrible because if you get out of prison and you're on parole, they don't want you touching marijuana. You can't touch the medicine that helps you. And then you turn around after you get off parole, you got to wait five years to not even have a felony. And that's mm -hmm. in most states with those applications. So I think, you know, if you're aware, like people should really start talking about this more act that's passing because it's going to give, uh, it's, it's getting reintroduced, but I think this is a good act to really touch on because it's going to give people an opportunity to be a part of the industry at a different level. Uh, by what, what was the name of that act again? The more act, the more act. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. yeah. So the the More Act is a marijuana opportunity reinvestment and expungent act. Uh, that is. Thank you so much for bringing that that's to great. my attention. I hadn't that's heard great. this before. Uh, so we will definitely do more research on that. Um, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Dante. Is there anything else you wanted to tell our audience? Um, whatever it might be, some parting words for Mr. Dante West. Man, I appreciate everybody here. And if you're not following the Last Prisoner Project, if you're not even following Dante West, just come follow us, man. Follow our journey. I mean, we're doing so many big things, man. And I appreciate you being and the rest of you guys. And just bring me on, man, and using your platform. I mean, that's how you really make a change, you know, getting these ears and eyeballs on these stories and the conversations we're having to bring awareness. Because uh, I bet you we've told some stuff that people may not have known already. So, I appreciate you, man, and I thank you, everybody, for tuning in and being here with me today. Thank you so much, Dante. You were just wonderful. All right, there it was, our conversation with Dante West. Uh, that was awesome. Great questions, really guys. Good, good really work. Great info. Uh, and also, check out the MORE Act, M-O-R-E Act, Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungion Act. This is He brought that to my attention, brought, brought that to our attention, and that seems absolutely fantastic. There are things, people like, you know, they they put their hands up to the heavens and they say, what can be done? And it's like, we can do, humans made the problem yes. and we can fix the problem. Otherwise the aliens are gonna have to do it. <laughs> I, I'm i okay with the aliens coming and fixing our problems, honestly. I don't know if that's gonna be good. I think the aliens are gonna love this weed we got down oh, here. Oh man. Awesome. Well, Dante, thank you so much for coming on the show. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, next week, we'll be back, obviously. And I believe we're going to have somebody on to talk about what's going on in Israel right now. Netanyahu. Woo. <laughs> your he buddy, Benjamin. Be gone. My buddy, Benjamin. And your buddy, Benjamin. Oh, a fellow I, Benjamin. A fellow Benjamin. Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, technically. So, whatever. <laughs> uh, he, it looks like he may be gone after 10 years of power. Uh, so we're going to talk to an expert on that. Absolutely. So we don't uh, say a bunch of shit that's wrong. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're being safe. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen. 
for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.